Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello, world. Shelley Rose Shearer here, and welcome to the show. Today, we've got Tanya Corey of Space and Time Solutions on the show. Tanya's five-step process is based on her experience with clients from the past seven years. She found that it is truly effective for creating change and adapting to anyone's individual situation or intention. She helps people organize their life so they can slow down, reconnect to their values, and live out their life purpose. This means learning how to better organize your life and look at inner patterns that create the clutter to begin with. Using a person's space and how they spend their time as a mirror of what's going on in the inside gives them an opportunity to look at deeper patterns and how they show up in the external world. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And it's funny because I was I wanted to jump in there like, no, it's time and space solutions. But you know what the funny thing is? I actually help people with their space first and then their time. Oh, isn't that funny? I could have <laughs> swore I wrote that down right off your website with your logo. Okay, so see, guys, all the best planning in the world doesn't mean you get it 100% right. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> The proper stuff will be in the show notes. I did have to laugh a little bit this last couple of weeks. Uh, interviewing was a little overwhelming and I was thinking of canceling a few. I swear every single one of you is, a, is speaking to my issues in my life. Okay. I like my stuff. <laughs> my husband calls me a hoarder. My house okay. is very tidy, uh, but I do have trouble throwing things out. So this should be interesting on what I learned today with all of your knowledge that you're bringing to the yes. table. So yes. thank you for being here. Closet clutter. That's what I call it. Closet clutter. Yes. I hide it all. As you can see behind you, you don't see it in my desk, but there's other places in my office that it resides. So the first question then really is why are you doing this type of work? You have a teaching background, which I noticed on your LinkedIn and yeah. you have a honors in psychology degree. So here, all of a sudden you are decluttering people's, well, I guess life, mind, homes, it kind of all goes together. Cause yes. I find that when I have things cluttered, I can't function as well. I put my clutter in certain places and then I live in tidiness and I keep visiting that uncluttered spot because I can't live in it day to day. But why are you doing this and what does it truly mean to be organized? Thank you. Um, the irony is that I did this originally because I actually had a teacher was it when you go to teach and you have like the placement and you're helping that teacher, I ended up helping her with her life because I wanted to help her with her budgeting. I wanted to help her with her diet, with organizing her home, helping her with her kids, her relationship, every aspect of her life. I felt like, okay, I can help you. She's like, Oh, you're a garden agent. Blah, blah, blah. I let that idea go. <laughs> and then as time evolved, it, um, it just was just this idea that I really want to work with people to help them reconnect with themselves. Mm. So that's a big foundation of why I'm doing this. Um, another aspect is that a lot of people live in shoulds. Oh, and that's yes. why I reached out to you because I was like, oh, this is too funny. People live in shoulds. And, and the reality is when you say should, 
one, it's saying that you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then two, the reality is you actually don't want to do that should. Exactly. And you feel so like I, it's an obligation versus a want. Exactly. Or a choice. And thank you. And that's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the other part of this is that, you know, if you're not connected to your values, if you're not connected to your life purpose, mm-hmm. then you're not making decisions based in that. And you're doing your shoulds because you're doing what society is telling you you should do. Right. So then it gets people disconnected from that. And then they're not making choices that align with who they are as a person. Um, and this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years of that you should be doing this. And it's pulling people away from their individuality yes, and their autonomy and their uniqueness. And I could just see that all around me. I never fully fell into consumerism. And so I'd have people around me, like rushing to get married, rushing to buy the house and do this. And I'm like, but why are you doing that? Is that mm-hmm. really what you want? And another aspect of it, that's a huge foundation of, of what I do is that if people want to do the inner work, you can't do it living in chaos. Yes, that I have noticed. <laughs> and so if your life is calm and organized, then you feel safe. And then you can do the inner work. Ah. You cannot do inner work if you don't feel safe. And if your outer environment is a reflection of what's going on, mm-hmm. then, and there's all this chaos, how can you do work? Of course, someone's going to avoid getting counseling or whatever particular thing that they need in order to reconnect and balance and, and get grounded. So they're not living in fight or flight. Because the problem we have in our culture is this fight or flight, living in a hamster wheel. Yeah, always in action. Yes. Never, never the calming, never the spirituality. I had a guest on my show yesterday. And we talked about those four legs of the chair and how, when you're in trauma, you're always tilting into the action and the doing, because it's just ignoring yes. everything. It was, it was brilliant. And I've never met a, like, I guess I should, can we call you an organizer, but someone that does what you do yeah, and I part of, that has all this other stuff you bring to the table yeah. for other reasons. Exactly. So it's making it safe. Mm-hmm. because when we're in flight or flight, we're not using our frontal cortex. That's right. And then it brings up a whole other like Pandora's box because then people, when they live in fear, they make decisions made out of fear. Yes. But if you are living in calm and safety, you are making decisions that align with your values and you're not feeling like, Oh, I have to work this nine to five job that I hate because I have to pay the mortgage and this, that, and the other. And there's many different lifestyles. There isn't just one type of lifestyle, but it's just this idea that this is my only option. And people think that way because they're stuck in that hamster wheel. So not so much about the judgment of their decisions, just to make sure that they are their decisions. Exactly. And they're coming in a place from their values, not fear. Right. I struggle with that. I mean, I spent 20 years of my career doing, and because I self-employed, putting, paying my mortgage, doing, even after I got married, I was that person that I kind of went out and got her done. And Keith, my husband always supported me. Then COVID hit. Well, even before that with my fibromyalgia, but when COVID hit, it took a year, but I really stood back and went, I say we retire you, babe. (laughs) We do. I love it. We didn't. I was still stuck a little bit, even though I've done so much of this work in that should. I'm like, why? I live in Vancouver, Canada. Housing prices here are completely insane. And we have another family home that belongs to my family collectively, but one day it'll be mine. And I said, let's sell this lower mainland, gone crazy, doubled in price in the last five years, craziness, and retire you. 
if this is what you, if this is what you want, we're at those ages when things start changing, people start having heart attacks and dying. Like yeah. it's just terrible things sometimes can happen at this age. So COVID really made me stop and look, is this what I truly, truly want? Are there other options between besides just working till 65? So it really yeah. took me out of my own box at, at the time, at the and time. You, and I'd love to point out that you that, did that because you slowed down. Yes. So you cannot see the chaos unless you slow down. And that actually brings me to the other question that you asked me about being organized yeah. is that to me, it's not just about the physical space being minimal, everything, having a home, you know, your time management, this and the other, it's that you don't have so much clutter that you cannot see. Right. And that you can slow down and have space to create. Cause if everything, every spot of your life is filled, every aspect of your life is filled then how do you expect to create new? You can't, there's no, there's there's literally no space for it. That's right. Me on a more abstract level. That's, that's what it means. Oh, I like the way you look at that. And I just have to slide this in there for our listeners. (laughs) Our guest today is also an artist. So (laughs) So I have to say, do you think you approach it from this standpoint because you're already you already artistically leaned in that direction where the rest of us that are analytical, I've always struggled with it because I have a numbers, I have an analytical brain and I'm an A-type personality. It took acute fibromyalgia to slow me down. And even then it took two years to bring me to my knees um, where the world in the universe said, I really need you to breathe now because I've got some lessons. And yes, I spent the last five years learning them and writing this podcast, but let me tell you, it took a baseball bat, a sledgehammery type thing. So do you think you view it from that standpoint because you already view the world in that way? Lens, yeah. Yeah, through that lens. It's interesting because I'm both. I'm very organized and very precise and very like logical, but then I'm very creative. Mm. So I, I... can get caught up in the to-do list okay I can get caught up in perfection because I'm very detail oriented but and I need to remember to step back and look at the big picture and I'm a visionary so it's like I'm this this combo um I think it that's a very good question I think it's really tuning into the person I think being an empath helps even if you're online absolutely to degree (laughs) I can still do it to degree um and really connecting with the person that I'm working with and saying, okay, what matters to you? And then having those conversations where they might've not had them with someone before. And especially in this context, Mm -hmm. no fair enough. And so that kind of helps. I think maybe me using both is what helps. Okay. Well, let's ask the hard questions because this is one that's uncomfortable for me. Why are we so attached to our stuff? (laughs) Because I like my stuff. That's where my husband and I are so different that way. He keeps me balanced. And like I say, I'm not a hoarder to the point of that. I just take them because I come from a hoarder who will just take something, whether she needs it or wants it, it doesn't matter. It's there. And and I must take it. My mom, it's, it's really a mental illness. We've discussed it with her. We know this about her. She knows it about herself now, although it took 50 years to admit it, but yeah, she's a true hoarder. Okay. I just, I work towards something or I want it. I like my stuff. I also keep it forever. I loathe shopping. (laughs) So I'm not, I don't want to go shopping. No, 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 no. I don't want to go out and find new things. I just, I'm just grateful when all my friends go, yeah, I'm kind of tired of this one. Yes. I'll take that. Okay. (laughs) I'm terrible. So talk us through the psychology of people like me or, or even the shopaholics that we get attached to these beliefs, our habits, our things 
which yeah. are three very, very different yes. things, but they probably have some sort of basis of the same origin, don't they? There's a commonality. We could okay. do like three podcasts on okay. this because it's such a big topic. You stop me whenever you want because like, so if we were to look at physical belongings only, mm-hmm. common, so there's, there's numerous ones, but the, the most common ones I see with clients are guilt. Uh-huh. So for example, someone gave it to me, I feel guilty to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. How does that show up in other areas of your life? Okay. This is mm-hmm. where the deep work comes, right? Um, another big one, which is, oh, I spent this much money on it. That money's gone. Mm-hmm. That money is not coming back and it doesn't serve you. There is no value anymore. If it's sitting in a box in the garage. Yes. Right. It's, it's, it's creating more weight and keeping it than it is in your pocketbook because that money's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, which you kind of mentioned is beliefs. Mm-hmm. So those beliefs can range from like, oh, I need to keep it because I want to be eco-friendly or, oh, I need to keep it because, you know, um, it makes me feel this way. That brings to sentimental. Sentimental in itself is, is one on its own. Is that like a subcategory um, of guilt or is that a completely different emotional response? To I things? would say it's a different one because okay. we, we put emotions onto our belongings, right? Mm-hmm. I have my nice cup here. I broke one and I was so sad and I was like, oh, let me see. And then I found this set because these are vintage, I guess you would call mm-hmm. them, but I love it because I have such an appreciation for the quality of the material, the design, um, and so, but there's no sentimental. So I'm attached to it because of its design and its art, okay. right? So form and if, function. Form and function and appreciation for the craft. If there's emotional attachment mm-hmm. to it, where it's attached to a person, especially if they passed away, that you're holding on to them through the physical belonging. Yes. And that's so much harder to break. So that's a whole other one. I never do that at the beginning. That's always the last one that we do. Okay. We're going through belongings. Um, another interesting one, especially in our culture now, is belongings to belong. So think about oh, it. You mean like keeping up with the Joneses? They've got yeah, it. So I I'm need keeping, it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's funny. My partner was saying like, oh, he's like, you know, I know someone who just bought the new, new version of iPhone. But for the, they don't need it for work. So he's, he's in design and graphics designs. He's like, there's a lot of great functions on it. He goes, but for this particular person, he's like, they don't need it. Mm -hmm. They're just saying it because look, I got this phone. So within their circle or whatever, or or it's also like a status thing. Like, oh, look, I was able to purchase this item because you know, and I know how much it costs. Right. So that's a whole other thing where people are, it's about appearances. Mm -hmm. And so then it's not really them. Another one is environmental that I noticed later on. So there's this whole sense of martyrism and that's like what's underneath, right? Right. What's underneath your, let's say socialism, what's underneath your environmentalism. It's because it's right. Or is it because you feel like a martyr and it's, it's the just thing to do, right? What are your psychological belief systems underneath that? What is your real drive underneath that? Mm. And environmentalism it's like, oh, I'm going to keep it because I don't want to waste. And then the thing is, well, then your home ends up, ends up being a garbage dump. Mm-hmm. Which isn't the point really. of your home. It's supposed to be exactly. your refuge from everything else. Exactly. 
so that's just okay. those are just some those are just some around uh space time if you want me to go into some of those <laughs> i'm going to say this one because it's it's definitely um one for you it should be done this way oh that's how i was raised and my yeah. son brought it to my attention like 15 years ago he says mom oh. do you know all my friends have this thing about you that they're like it's expected. <laughs> you use that too. Really? Yes. I use that term raising him probably 20 years ago now, because he's in his thirties now. Okay. I, I clearly use that expression a lot because my mother raised me with expectations yeah. and a certain appropriateness, right? A formality. Sometimes you go to church, you, I was you put a skirt on. Okay. You're going out for dinner. You go to the opera, you dress, and then yeah. there's this whole generation that's like, you know what? I bought the tickets. If I want to wear sweatpants, I will. I had a real tough time with that. So I raised him with a certain level of appropriateness and expectation. And he says, yes, mom, that is like a hard thing for you. And you need to let it go. And he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. So it was a big, that was a big thing in my life, Tanya. <laughs> I, I would disagree because I feel like we're swinging too much from one end to the other. Okay. Right. Because there's, there's a time and a place for everything. I was raised in a similar way. And I feel like our culture is going so much casual. Mm -hmm. Someone said this to me the other day, and I love it. They said, you can't have freedom without structure. Oh, I like that. Because I'm actually a believer yeah. of that. You, you always have to question, is this serving me? Or have I taken, if I'm hanging on so tight, it's become a should. Exactly. Now, you have an Italian background, don't you? Yes. <laughs> so my experience with yes. that is... Italian people usually have a little bit higher level of formality. They dress. They don't run around in yoga gear all the time. At least my friends never did. I went to church. That created, you know, I wondered when we met other people or some of our family members, why they didn't have suit jackets and why the kids didn't. My mom would look at me and says, well, sweetheart, they don't go to church. So they have no use for, for dress yeah. clothes. It's like, oh, I never really looked at the cultural significance of all of that. Yes. Um, but when I go on a cruise and it's formal night, for the love of God, put a dress on and at least a jacket. Okay. And, and that's the thing. So then it's because to me, the issue with that is then it's, I don't care. Yes. It's this, I don't care attitude. And so for me, it's about creating balance because you don't want to be an extreme on either end. Right. So if that should, like you said, is I should be doing this and it's this right or wrong mentality, then no. Right. However, if it's something that this creates respect, this creates a tone to the situation, this makes everything not the same. Because if I'm wearing sweatpants all the time, mm -hmm. then there's no change and nothing special. Oh, I like that. Right? Oh, I like that. that. That's a lovely description. Because I never know, because I have a very high formality, I always feel that I'm the wrong person to be talking about this subject because <laughs> I'm a little higher up here yeah. somewhere. And I've definitely relaxed as I've gotten older. You know, friends look at me and go, wow, you've slowed down and really less rigid, I guess is the word I'm looking yes. for. Yes. Less rigid. But I'm with you. There's things that sometimes just require respect and to make it special. And a little more formal. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Okay. It's when things are, it's when things are forced. Mm -hmm. And I think to tie into like the, another aspect of where people struggle with, you know, attachments is being able to say no. Oh, it's a complete sentence. Right. <laughs> being, uh, yeah. Like being able to say no, like it's, it's, um, you know, again, it's this swing of people pleasing, mm -hmm. saying yes to everything and then never being able to say no. Right. And then if we don't say no, where do we have our autonomy? Yes. Or our boundaries. A, 
Exactly. exactly. Neither, neither of those two things can exist in a world with someone that never says no. The phone drives me crazy, the cell phones. And this is a very good example. Okay. Um, so if I'm out with you, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't look at my phone. Why would I look at my phone? I'm with you. Exactly. Unless I'm expecting an important phone call, which is very rare that I would be expecting a phone call. Why am I going to pull it out? Because then I'm not being present with you. So that also goes to no boundaries. Mm-hmm. So now that we have these cell phones, people are doing conversations with people in public that are private and personal. Yes. So I'm mentioning this around time because everything is getting blurred. Mm-hmm. Work, conversations, personal, everything is blurred and then nothing is separated. And then people are all over the place. And then they yeah. wonder why they have no time to do anything. Right? Fair that, enough. That's, that's not true. And so with the no comes the guilt. Well, I'll, I feel bad if I say no. What if I hurt their feelings? You are not responsible for other people's emotions. And this is where the boundary setting comes in and the interpersonal work. Um, and even like the, the emotions, like people get stuck feeling an emotion because they're not setting boundaries with someone. So they might spend hours being upset when they're supposed to be doing other stuff. Right. Yes. Because they're not, they're not balanced in that way. So the mm-hmm. attachment is not just, oh, I want to keep this pen. There's so much more to it because it's a reflection of what's going on in your life and how is you, how are like you not setting a boundary um, or you not looking at holding on? How is that affecting you? It, it shows up in so many different ways. It does. My life is so much better now that I have better boundaries. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. It's, it's been many years, but when I was younger, I was definitely the yes to everything, a people pleaser okay. full on because I wanted validation and I felt um, I had trauma from my childhood and my family. And so, yes, you know, it was always, of course, I later learned in my career to be a go-to person for information because I run an accounting company for many, for 28 years. Okay. But that just meant that I knew someone and I'm going to pass you on because okay. I, I, I've never existed from a place of want. I believe there's enough work for everyone. There's enough resources exactly. for everyone. There's enough everything for everyone. Collaboration, not, Abs- uh, absolutely. not, not competition. Oh, absolutely. And women are yes. the worst about it. And I'm so glad that that pendulum is swinging and women are understanding that inclusiveness yes. and working together is the way yes. to go. <laughs> That's just taken 10, 20 years really since, you know, the turn of the century for that yeah. really to become more apparent. And uh, just as a segue, sorry, I had a lovely friend that I met a couple of years back at a networking event was on the podcast and she was from California. And I remember I met her at my networking event and that's how we became friends. And she said, I cannot believe the difference up here. Women actually support each other. She goes, where I come from, it's just cutthroat. Oh, she goes, really? and it's just my partner and I, her partner took a job at uh, UBC, our oh. local uh, big university. And she goes, I just, it's, it's like living on another planet. She says, it's fantastic. So I was really, I was so touched to hear that, know that the pendulum was swinging. Okay. We were getting better at it because yes, it has always been my philosophy and it has always served me well. Yes. That's why there's, you know, there's people like you. That's why I podcast yeah. and have guests on because there's people with knowledge that my listeners are going to benefit from. It's not my exactly. area of expertise. Yeah. So tell us. Why is it so difficult to change? And how do you help people to change? We talked a little bit about why it's difficult to change because we cling to things, yeah. we attach emotion to it. We, even if we want a boundary, 
you still have to implement the boundary. So the first yes. time, you know, the, your mother phones and interrupts you in the middle of something, you say, mom, I'm sorry, I can't take this call right now. Or maybe you should have answered it in the first place. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, so unfortunately, folks, it takes practice. Uh, so that yes. if you've made a decision, my I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, or if we're on the same page, I feel that that just opens the universe to say, okay, now we're going to go to work. And here's all the experiences and all the um situations to which you can practice your boundaries like me with my patients hundred percent <laughs> okay hundred so how do you help people with that um if I can actually go back because I know we talked about attachments mm-hmm. it's not just the attachments that makes it hard for people to change so the, the first thing is there's five stages of uh, change for people so one is pre-contemplation and that's where people don't even see that there's an issue okay they haven't recognized it or they just don't want to look or both, which are kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a unwillingness to see that there's a problem. Okay. And so they're still full of excuses. So that's why whenever I work with people, I do a 15 minute free phone assessment first, which never ends up being 15 minutes. (laughs) I'm a talker. They never do talk. Yeah. Same here. They never do. (laughs) And there I'm really checking to see, is this person self-aware and are they willing to change? Okay. And then from there, are they aware of why it was hard for them to change in the past? So their barriers. So the first real step is, can the person name the problem? Can they name why they're struggling? And sometimes deep down people know what the problem is, but they're not ready to admit it because as soon as they name it, it means they have to do something about it and they can't play ignorant anymore. So that's, that's one big piece that I think stops a lot of people from changing is one, just being willing to admit that there's a problem. Do you find it's because they're, they're, they're attached to, I can't be wrong, or is it way more complex than that? You're the psychology expert here. I, I think it really depends on the individual. Okay. Fair because enough. Good. If, they, if they're wrong, then it means like, oh my, it, usually a person will already have low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. So then if they're wrong about something for a number of years, because obviously this has been for a long time then they have to admit they were wrong all those other times and that their life could have been totally different. Right. And that's a lot to take on. It's not just, Oh, I need help. It's looking at how that specific problem has affected Mm -hmm. their whole life. That's a lot to take. And if they don't have support, they don't have counseling. If they don't have a community of people with them, that it's not just something that you can be like, Oh, I need to get help. No, not at all. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, The other aspect is, well, it takes more energy. Mm-hmm. if you are so habitual in a routine and a habit you're not thinking you just do it without thinking I'm picking up this cup I'm not thinking I can right. do it without that however if I have to do something new that requires so much more energy and the brain doesn't want to do it so it's not yes. anyone's fault the brain is actually telling you no 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 it's okay it's okay even if your motivation and your spirit is like yes I want to do this you, you can't so it's It's knowing that, okay, I'm going to have to put some things on hold because I need more time and energy to make all these changes as well as reflect on what was going on. Um, And just think of it like if you were to take a course in a new language, you're going to be using a whole new part of your brain Mm -hmm. that hasn't been developed to learn this new new language. You're going to need to, it actually hurts. Like I remember there when I was learning French last fall, my brain would hurt after doing Mm. uh, a language exchange. It would actually hurt because I could feel that I was using a new part of my brain. So resistance is normal. 
Okay. That's good. Because I think most people are like, it's just me. No, it's really not. As I tell people all the time, you're not alone (laughs) and it's not just you. This is how, that's why I'm just loving this last five years plus, and maybe a little longer, but really this last five years on brain development, how we learn what they're learning that, you know, we are not static. We are, the brain is not locked. Like you say, you learned a new language. I learned to edit video last year and I'm with you. I would get the most massive headaches at the end of it going, oh my goodness, I'm never going to learn this. And I would would say, yes, you will learn it. It just needs to become a habit for me to do it repetitively. But yes, it would give me a flipping headache. Yeah. (laughs) And it takes time. Like that's the thing. It's the brain. This is the other aspect of what we were talking about at the beginning was because it's new, it's unknown and it's unsafe. So the body's like, and especially because if it's a deep old pattern that has emotional psychological aspects to it, then the person's like, oh, but this feels unsafe. I don't want to do it because I don't know what's going on. So there's a lot of working parts that make change difficult. It's Mm -hmm. not just, oh, you don't want to do it or, oh, it's hard. No, there's a lot more to it. One is in a way we can't help it because our brain's wired to say no. And then the other part is, well, it takes a lot to admit it. So when I work with people, it's about doing it slow for one. Nice. Okay. Too much, too fast. I cannot stand. I am not into tips. I'm not into life hacks. Sometimes people ask me, Oh, can you send me a blog on this? No, I'm not going to do it because it's tips and life hacks. And my process is the complete opposite of that. You need to go through a process. Yes. Right. Step by step. So it's about honoring the person's feelings Mm -hmm. saying Yes. This is how you feel not shaming them or shooting them. And then reframing like, oh, can you look at this a different way? Is mm-hmm. there another way to look at this? And, and taking baby steps and acknowledging their changes because what happens, I would say most of the time, I'll, I do a check-in if I'm working on, well, actually in person, I always do a check-in at the beginning of a session. Okay. So how did it go last week? Tell me what was challenging, what went really well. And when they tell me their things that they did that they changed, they're like, yeah, yeah. And then I did this and I'm like, do you realize how much of a big deal that is that you yeah. did that? This is huge. You just set a boundary with this person. This is massive. So do you it, take them back and make them stew in that, like sit in it for a while, acknowledge it, own it? Cause it's just, people yes. do not do enough of that. It's like knowing how to do something naturally. We are like, Oh, I'm not gifted because it comes so easy to me. And then everyone around you goes, how do you do that? We, our subconscious seems to just want to discount it. That's yeah, it is. It's excellent. Like, no, no, so you take them back and make them sit in that. Cause that's future oriented, right? right? Nope. Let's what's next. What's next. What's next. No, you did something amazing. Let's feel it awesome. and let's embody it. Right. Yeah. Um, the other aspect is that I work with people with their space first. And I always choose to do the space first because why are we going to bother doing time management? If your kitchen is a complete disaster, your one of your focuses is being healthier but we can't because your kitchen's a mess, but you want to work on time management and meal planning. Right. We can't do that yet. Your kitchen's not ready. So and do those going... baby steps kind of help them into the next process? Does the okay. doing of that cl- cleansing, I mean, I know people that can't see their bedroom floors. I'm like, how do you live with this? Yeah. I need to find my clothes. I'm sorry. <laughs> they better yeah. be hanging where I left them. Exactly. <laughs> so, so is yeah, that it, what it does? It, it, the, it brings awareness to the attachments which then brings awareness to how they're spending their time. So it's like a precursor. Gotcha. 
And then they're used to the process so that when we do the, uh, like the, what do I call it? I call it like a time inventory. When we do the time inventory, they're already used to sorting things, mm-hmm. letting go of what's not working, and then moving on to organizing what's left. And the last part is the habits and routines. So by that point, we've already gone through the five-step process twice. Mm-hmm. Then we're doing the deeper stuff. So they've already had all this time to really like make all these changes and see it. And it's not this abrupt, like you need to do it right away. Well, no, we did one small step this week. We have a week to integrate it. And then I will get clients to say, this is too fast. I can't do all these items that we talked about today. And it's like, that's fine. This is not about me. This is about you. And what's one thing you feel that you can integrate and if you don't feel that this particular week, you have enough time, because I give them stuff to do outside mm-hmm. of sessions. Okay. If you don't have time to do that, I call it homework. That's the teacher in me. <laughs> My yoga instructor to... gave me homework today. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you don't have time to do it, what's the point of us putting it on the list? And then you're not going to do it. And then you're going to feel horrible. Exactly. So there's this rush and it's like, no, we don't need to rush. It's slowing down, taking it one step at a time talking about how it felt to make that change, acknowledging that you've made it mm-hmm. and then moving on to the next part. It's, it's not a race because oh, if you that. go fast, you miss the information. And this is the biggest yeah. thing that I'm, I'm learning more recently is that if you go fast, going too fast causes trauma mm-hmm. because you go too fast, too much. And then think of it like this. And if someone's hitting me like this, then I can't think straight. So if you're living your life like that, it's chaos. And you're not safe again. I know we keep coming back to that word, but it is our subconscious. It is designed to keep us safe. So if you're going to overwhelm it, you're going to go into flight and fright, fight or flight every time. (laughs) Every time, because it's how we're wired. It's that caveman brain that we have got to stop. When I'm teaching habits, no, you may not change five things at once. I'm sorry. I, I will, won't even give you the opportunity 100%. to find five things to change. You give me one or two, give me a third and that's a wish list. And then you honestly, I've actually had the clients stop talking, <laughs> really? stop writing. You just got to stop because they, they are like me. I, I recognize like recognizes like <laughs> you just want to get her done. Yeah. Well, are we looking for a lifetime change or are we just, you want to get her done for the next two weeks? Because willpower, as my slogan says, will only get you so far, then you better have a plan. And planning is slowly integrating one habit at a time and making it part of your new way of thinking and your lifestyle. Exactly. And it's funny. I am sure people have heard that, you know, it's about the journey, not the end destination. What does that actually mean? Oh, looking at the trees along the way. Okay, that's nice. Think about it as information. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going slow and I'm doing one habit at a time, and let's say here's the beginning and here's the end point. And along that way, I'm experiencing what it's like to change. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting all this information. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think of my life like that before. Okay. Then it's a meaningful change. And that's the work I do. It's about making things meaningful. My, my, pardon my logo or my, my title for my business is living with intention. Mm, okay yes so it's doing things with meaning so it's not Mm -hmm. that okay once I'm done everything's going to be okay no it's what am I learning if your growth mindset what Mm -hmm. am I learning it's experiencing things and and gathering that information to how can I grow even more 
you brought up a really good point right there. Do you uh, teach as well that the learning never stops? Because when you said when I, when this happens, then it's like, oh, that is just one of the worst expressions in the history of expressions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, girlfriend called me on it like 10, 15 years ago, said, Shelly, you've always talked about raising Ryan. So I was a single mom when you're 40 and he's raised like what your life's going to begin at 40. Like you're 29 years of age. Are we not living now? And it's funny how that became a constant comment I made. And I'm so glad I have these amazing people in my life that, that just short circuited it right away because I was doing that. It was almost like I'm living, but I'm not hundred percent present, but this whole nother life is going to happen when I finally have raised this child. A hundred percent. And you know, what's interesting with that, that's used because then people are like, okay, everything will be good and fine. And I'll be happy then. Then yes. We're, we're always everything all the time. We're always experiencing so much. The other piece to that, mm-hmm. which I've experienced with people is that, oh, I'll do it after the holidays or, oh, I'll do it next week. So they're always putting off the change. Right. And it's like, oh, I'll be able to then. No, you have to commit now. Yes. Right. So it it, it can be in different ways saying that then. And either way, you're not owning your power and you're not in your present moment. And you're not really like, you're just, you're not there. You're not owning it. Chanya, say I came to you as a client and I've got We'll use my closet as an example. I just, it's just so disorganized and I don't know, even know what an Ikea closet organizer looks like. And you've, you've started coaching with me and you've made me aware of those first baby steps. So how would that sort of play out as an example for our listeners? Okay. So the first thing would be, we actually sort everything. So let's say, okay, we're going to do your clothing. Mm-hmm. And that's usually a sore spot for a lot of people. <laughs> I can imagine. It really depends on their resources and where we're at and, and how much help, because in an ideal world, you take everything and you sort it because unless you see everything all at once, mm-hmm. it's hard to kind of almost get that shock factor of like, wow, I mm-hmm. thought I didn't have a lot of clothes until I did this. And then it's like, whoa, I did the whole Marie Kondo thing when it came out and I put everything on my bed and I was like, I don't have a lot. Cause I saw how much other people had. Right. And I knew that I had significantly less than them, but I still had a lot. Gotcha. Good justification so, there, by the way, though. You got to love that feeling good about yourself. Yeah. Oh, they are way worse off than I'm worth. Yeah. I fit everything <laughs> in one closet ourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can fit everything in one closet. What are you talking about? Like, that's not a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. If you put it all in a bed and you sort it by category and then you're mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness. And then the truth starts coming out. You have. 20 black blouses. Why do you right. have 20 black blouses? So then it's the baby steps of looking at one area. So that's why I tend not to do everything on the bed. It has that nice shock factor. So they get a good sense. Okay. But sometimes it's better. Like, let's just do half of the closet today. And then they can start seeing things and digesting. Okay. I'm realizing so much about myself. Cause if we do all of it at once in like a six hour session, I don't do that. I tend to do three hour ones. Okay. That'd be exhausting. Um, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, a long it, time to it's be focused a lot. on oh. something you're kind of fighting internally. It's like, I don't really exactly. want to do this. And then six hours of it. Okay. It's too much or four or smaller or sort of, bites. Yeah. Smaller bites is one. And then as we go through that, okay, we did your clothing. Now you have all this awareness. Now you're starting to see. So when we go into another area of your home, it's not a shop. Mm-hmm. And so I always pick I get people to pick the category they're least attached to first. 
Oh, so it's not traumatic for them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Basically pretty much because then it's like, Oh yeah, this is fine. And then they get going. So then as we move along the scale of more attached, they've had so much practice. They're making so many changes. It's easier. So okay. that's one aspect. Okay. And then once we've done the physical space, they have so much awareness. They're feeling good about the changes. hundred percent of my clients, not 90, not 80%, 100% say they feel lighter. Oh, absolutely. I can attest 100%. to that. Yeah. And the clarity. And so because they can physically feel the results in their body, not mm-hmm. just in their space, but in their body, then they're more game for looking at the time. So then when we look at the time, we're doing the same process. Let's do an inventory. Let's look at all the different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, let's say you are spending a lot of time on social media. Oh, you, you mean how they're using their time, how they're using. Sorry. Their I just time. want a clarification of that. Yes. Okay. So how they're using their time, how they're using their time. And then we categorize it. Cause like I said, people are ping ponging. They're all over the place. No banner saying things blurred. Yeah. And they say they have no time when really that's not true. It's how they're spending it. Yeah. So because they already have this physical process that they've done, we can then make it conceptual and go to the time management and go through the same thing. Where are you wasting time? Where's your guilt? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you need to be saying no? Where do you need to be saying yes? Where do you need to be setting a boundary? You already know some of that because you figured it out with your attachments to your physical belongings. Right. So then when we get to the habits and routines, which is the last part and belief systems, we've already addressed a whole bunch. And like you, I do the habit track. I do a habit tracking chart and it's one mm-hmm. or two at a time. So because we've, we've already done a lot of work, I tend to do a couple two or three Mm -hmm. because we've already done a lot fair enough and then there's one that's like a super commitment that okay this is what you're focusing on and if you can you do the other ones and so it's this gradual process of addressing their whole life but one area at a time because again people are so scattered right now and it's living fight or flight you can't be grounded and focused So let's just do one thing at a time. I'm slow now. I'm very slow. And I'm realizing how much now being in a relationship because my, my boyfriend is like, go, 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 go. Like he's that typical male. That's like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I don't multitask. I stopped multitasking. Completely. Right. And I'm, I'm only seeing it. Now and I'm pathetic I'm, at it now. Like I honestly, if yes. I try and do it, I'm like, okay, nothing that is looking the way I want no. it to. No, it doesn't help. And And it allows me to be so calm and so focused that if someone walks in the room and I'm I'm like, what, what's going like it, I had to transition that because I'm so present. And that's a good thing. I think in the eighties and nineties, we were taught that was a bad thing because multitasking, that's where it came from. You know, we came into out of the seventies, into the eighties, women can do it all. Uh, Why would we even want to? So men go to work and come home, but women go to work, come home and still raise the kids, clean the house, make the dinner, do the laundry. Um, Please, please explain to me how ever that was ever became popular. So I talk about that. I can, I have a theory. I just made one up as you said it. (laughs) Good. Keep that thought for a second. And so one of the things I really noticed after I got sick was um, people around me had an expectation that I had all the time in the world. The problem was I didn't have all the energy in the world. Oh, and I would say, point. and I really had to learn not only in myself to say, I don't care that, that I have four hours. I do not have the energy for that right now. And then train yeah. the people around me. I had to train the boundaries. Um, but man, it's made such a huge difference. What was your thought on that last one before you That's, lose it? 
Yeah, that's that. I like that that you had to train the people because Absolutely. people are so used to one thing, and they're like, "What do you mean? What do you mean? I, you can't see me every time I want to." Like they freak a out. A girlfriend flipped out on me. One of my neighbors who, and because I was helping her with something, and I was doing a reno in my house, and she says, "You said you could," and I said, "Whoa, hang on a second here. We talked about that a month ago, and you were going to go." First of all, it was a situation where she had chosen to go another route. I said, "Great." So I said, "I'm not really on that page with you." Okay. So why is your expectation that I would come and rescue you? It wasn't a financial thing. Uh, yeah. I would come and rescue with this when all my energy is, you know, what I'm doing next door, renovating this upstairs. And I apologize. This is, but you need to understand it's not about the time. I don't have the energy for that right now. I've just spent yeah. three hours dealing with contractors. Not fun. No, not even remotely. <laughs> and I'm done for today. Now, how can I help you tomorrow morning? <laughs> exactly. And it's things change, right? But when you mentioned that the 80s and 90s, what <laughs> happened before? What happened in the 70s? There was a whole movement around freedom. Absolutely. So they birthed their make- bras. We were yeah. equal. There's freedom. Because the 50s and 60s were that whole housewife, yeah. post-war, you know, pretty much everyone had a job. Most women yeah. didn't have to work if they didn't want to, if they were married. It wasn't, exactly. I'm not broad stroke. I'm broad stroking, as you know, not being exactly. specific. And so that mentality came out of our parents' generation, which is why I think we're raised with all of our little expectations and shoulds because we were yeah. taught that. So that freedom. So how can a society, especially a, humorous, a uh, consumer society, mm-hmm. smush the idea of freedom? Exactly. tell you that you should be doing more. Yep. If I can keep people in a hamster wheel that keeps them buying, that keeps them doing, mm-hmm. that keeps them away from staying connected to themselves, yeah. that keeps them away from, from being connected to what matters to them. But if they're like this, how can mm-hmm. I keep people in this cycle? To me, that's how the consumerist world works and the corporations. How can I keep people so distracted that they can't yeah. see the truth and that they can't decide for themselves what's right or wrong? And they've had 40 years of that. I truly believe that's how this came out of the 70s and the whole movement of the 60s and 70s with Woodstock and just all of that freedom. Like, what do we need? You know, just that I'm just going to do this laid back body thing. It's like, we're good, man. Exactly. (laughs) And it was such a shock, you know, for my parents' generation going, you freaking hippies, um, to hang on a second here. They're not wrong. But if you want corporate America to keep running corporate America, it needs you on the gerbil wheel, which is why COVID was such a shock for so many people. What went on around it, not the virus, yeah, viruses every year, what went on around it politically because everyone stopped and went, well, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. And what have I been ta- paying attention to? And it's, yeah, I'm sorry, but if we can keep you focused here, you're not looking over here or even in, yeah. inside. Would you agree yeah. with that? A hundred percent. And I think one aspect of what happened was, was people slowed down and some people slowed down enough to, to wake up mm-hmm. and to realize what was really going on for them yeah. and the world. Yeah. And then other people didn't know what to do and they panicked. Yeah. So they just found, a, uh, they channeled their energy into things that were continuing to pull them away from being present. So Netflix made lots of money yeah. off of that. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Right. So think things like that. And you know, other people's jobs went online, but then because working online with their particular position didn't work, they're spending even more time working. Yes. So it's like, how can we distract people as much as possible to keep them away from being themselves and being awake and being empowered? Yeah. That's, that's how, that's one aspect of the situation that I saw. Absolutely. And honestly, 
it's, it's not about blame. It's not about anything. Yeah. I don't, I don't like the shaming and the name calling. It's yeah. just look, we've had 40 years of conditioning. Yeah. It's taught in our schools. I mean, my father taught, I learned it at his knee. You work hard, you retire, da, 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 just like this timeline. Now I am very lucky is that he had some other little nuggets. He was also self-employed, didn't start his okay. business till he was 40. And my okay. father always had a comment, work smarter, not harder. Thank you. So it took me out of that more hours makes all the difference. I used to know when I had my, exactly my bookkeeping business, when you're paid hourly for getting something done, a six and a half, seven hour maximum billable day is a long day. And people are like, what are you talking about? I'm at the office for 10 hours. Ah, you're not working for 10 hours, people. (laughs) You're putting in a lot of time. Um, And that's time you're taking away from your family. So recently I've just read that book, uh, The 4-Hour Workweek. A little extreme. Yes, yes. He brings up a lot of very valuable nuggets that I could quite relate to in my old life. I was like, oh, yep, I definitely bought into that. (laughs) <laughs> and, a, and a lot of people do in corporate America is just, it's just such a great example of it. 60, 70 hour works, work weeks to get, to get, to get a partnership in a law firm, to get your doc, to become a doctor, to get that promotion. Yeah. When did we think that was, how did we let it become that that was okay? But That's we did not human. That's not, yeah, human. it's not at all. It's mm-hmm. not at all. So why would someone reach out to you for guidance and support? In other words, my question is, is there something they're going to recognize in themselves an uncomfortableness, a desperation? What would trigger them to go to your website and say, I need that lady right there. I can give you the hippie answer and the uh, more like formal. Good, bring it on. Just have the hippie one first. Okay. So I think that the hippie one is literally to declutter and let go of the old world. Mm-hmm. So that they can have space to participate in creating in the new world. Oh, I love that. Could you repeat that? Yes, yes. So thank you. Declutter and let go of the old world Mm -hmm. in their life and how it shows up in their life. And then making room to create in the new world and be a participant in creating the new world. Right. And you can't do that unless you let go of the old. Right. We're an autopilot a lot of the time, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, hundred (laughs) percent. Hundred percent. And so that that's the part that's hard is is people have trouble. And this would be reasons like to, to reach out is having trouble to adapt to ongoing changes in the world, right? Needing that support so that they can feel safe so they can make decisions from the right place. Yes. And freedom be be, freedom begins in the mind, they say. So, and we haven't embraced that as a society. A hundred percent. And what's thoughts, the non-hippie out answer? The non-hippie, <laughs> your thoughts create your reality. That's the ending to that one. Um, and it, yeah, and it's like, what are you telling yourself that's causing you stress? Mm-hmm. So being present and grounded is one big thing that people reach out to me for um, being organized so that they can actually live the lifestyle that they want so that they can change their habits and routines. Right. Because if you read all these life hacks and then you try and change your habits, but your life is chaos, it's not going to work. No, not um, for any length of time. Anyways, a lot of people from sure no. will can get a lot done in a week. But- yeah, then it changes. Exactly. Uh, definitely being more focused, efficient with their time. Getting stuck in emotions is another big one mm-hmm. because it's like, I can't move forward because they're stuck in this old pattern. But as soon as you start letting go, it, it gives you perspective and then things start moving again. Excellent. Um, and that also helps with letting go of beliefs. I'm mm-hmm. um, helping people let go of their attachments. 
a lot of the time people just need to tell the story. Fair right. Enough. If for some reason I had to get rid of this cup that I keep on referring to, <laughs> <some> <laughs> example, <laughs> right. If I had to let that go, sometimes I just need to tell you how I got it, what it means to me. Mm-hmm. And that's it. They need a witness. And then boom, it's gone. And they're so surprised at how easy it was. They just needed to tell someone who could hold space for them. Awesome. That's another part. Um, Helping people grow, helping people set boundaries. That's Mm -hmm. another huge one. Yes. That's a big one that I'm working on with a new client and in workshops is setting boundaries. Okay. Um, And just being able to help people find where they have agency in their life, both individually, personally, worldwide. Um, and, and helping them go through the process so that they're not doing something that where they're looking inside and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm noticing all these things about my external world. It's being able to support them through a process. So not okay. just here, declutter, organize, right. done, see you. It's a process. And a lot, often in our culture, people don't go through processes. They just take it in a random way. Yeah. And I think that's another fundamental piece why someone comes because they realize, no, I need like to actually go through something. Yes, I agree. And I think most people need it. I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus. <laughs> I was, <laughs> we were chatting before we started the actual formal podcast. And yeah. I mentioned my yoga instructor, uh, cause I'm doing it virtually of course. And because I can't go into the, the into the studio and, uh, it, it was just the two of us. So it's like a private session. And the funny thing was there are two sisters that own this yoga studio that I've been going to for years. And I used to be their bookkeeper even. So I'm very connected to them. Oh, yes. I'm very, very, they let me off the hook last year. I said, I'm closing it down guys. You just, you got to let me go. Okay. (laughs) And they did bless their hearts. But this one sister I've always struggled with. I don't enjoy her classes, which is so weird. And now she is like a lifeline for me. Why? Because I slowed down. I just wanted oh. to get the practice done. I wanted to build my strength. I wanted this. I wanted that. And when she sits and stops and explains something, and then I'm like, okay, for the love of all that's holy, I could have done the pose three times by now. It was a huge shift in mindset for me. And of course, yes. as my listeners know, and you may not, because you don't, you don't know me very well, is that I've been dealing in chronic pain for a year or two. that's gotten very bad this okay. last 18 months that I'm trying to come out of it was even more so she now has my number and it's like, I'm in class with her or even one-on-one. I have a completely different response to her style of teaching and support now than I did three years ago. Yeah. Cause she's guiding you through something exactly. that has a purpose and that has an intention. It's not just some random thing. Yeah. And it's when you've meaningful. spent almost two years where you cannot stride, I cannot stride with my right hip. I can't take a full step and walk backwards. My hip won't come back. Okay. When you've been that debilitated and can't walk your dog around the block, um, you start realizing there, you better start looking at what you're not doing. And one of them was slowing down, being present. And even though I was, what's the word I'm looking for? Textbook aware of the body and tensegrity practice and the fascia around the muscle, how that saran wrap gets tight. Yeah. I wasn't really slowing down enough to put it into true practice in, in my own body. So just kind of a, just sort of an awareness of my own, just very recently. <laughs> and hundred percent. And two things that come up for me when you share that is one, it's slowing down enough to notice the exact moment when a thought comes up, mm-hmm. when a physical sensation comes up, because that's where it starts is a physical sensation, then the thought, then the story and the belief that brings you into that's an right. action. So if you slow down enough and to someone guide you through that to slow down to see it is helpful. And that's the other part. It's okay to ask for help. Oh, yes. 
we're not meant to do things on our own. No. It's this individualistic society where we're not really individuals, but we're being told that we're only at our best if we can do everything by ourselves, which is so contradictory. Back to the nineties again, let it go. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to slow down and notice. Absolutely. The hard thing with a younger audience, and I do have a huge demographic, both of male and female and of ages, is to try and get my younger audience to understand that I came into a lot of this wisdom and knowledge in my 50s, because in the past, I was like, you're just not getting it done. Like, just for the love of for the love of all that's holy, get it done. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, being present. When I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, like seven years ago, it changed everything for me. It's like, oh, yeah, I haven't been as present as as I thought I was. Thank you. And people think they are. They're like, no, no, no. I I, I feel this and I feel this around me. It's like, but you're going so fast. You're missing so much information. Right. Like even this, we're having a wonderful conversation. You are a topic that I just am thriving to. I still <laughs> have to remind myself to drop my shoulders. I'm interviewing you. I'm not even the one. It's not my message. You are the guest today. I have. Mm-hmm consciously still it's not 100 all the time where i have to slow down and just breathe i don't need to ask the next question i need to drop my shoulders listen to what you have to say and if something comes up that i think my audience will need to have you expand upon i'll ask yeah. the question then it is exactly. a work it is a work in progress for sure a hundred percent even with me <laughs> i do this work and it's with like all I'm of always, us yeah it's it's never ending you're even, there's always room to grow and if you still can, accept yourself where you're at Right. That is a big thing. People, I think we're so hard on ourselves. There's no, there's no worse critic than ourselves. We can live in victim and say, but my mom did this, or my dad did this, or my sister did this, or someone did this. Do you know what? That's again, just a story you're telling yourself. And it's still your internal voice that you're listening to. And you need to get that voice on a new soundtrack. I am enough. I am enough. I am not alone. Mm-hmm. I love collaborating. I'm so grateful for my closest friends now, which my circle has with my energies has gotten so small this past number of years. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for them now because it's like, guys, what am I missing here? Just, I'm throwing it out to all of you. And then I yeah. get the ideas coming back. It's like, okay, I don't feel like I'm an idiot because I had to ask. And they certainly don't feel that way about me. Yeah. But we tell ourselves these stories again in our heads. New soundtrack. If yeah. you could leave our listeners with one piece Mm-hmm. advice, information, encouragement, what would it be? Hmm. To ask themselves what needs to change for you to change. Oh, right. Cause at what point is it going to happen? What needs to happen in your life in order mm-hmm. for you to change? Cause it, you can't keep on doing the same thing and expecting a different something. result. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, it's such a right? simple and pat phrase, but it is like still so relevant. Yeah. That's right. What's stopping you? All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, it was an so absolute much. pleasure. Thank you. And everyone, everything will be in the show notes of uh, how to reach her and her that's website cute. with the right name. And I'll oh, catch no, you. No, that's okay. <laughs> I just thought it was cute. <laughs> and I'll catch you on the flip side. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through Shelley at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality.
This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan.